0: good evening good evening good evening let's uh let's pray and we'll get started all right lord again we we thank you for giving us uh this day today thank you for these times of fellowship and for the time to uh rest and just focus on you help us uh in this time we have together tonight to do just that—to focus on you and look to you for understanding. And Lord, uh, let us do it all in an attitude of worship and thanksgiving to you. May you be glorified by it. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay, we're looking at Revelation 20, and I said this morning I give some op- opportunity for. Uh, questions, so I'll do that in a few minutes, but, uh, but let's go ahead and uh, take a look at the text where we left off this morning. And I'm actually going to jump back to verse 7 um, to pick up for tonight. Um, so I think I may have said 11 this morning, but it'll be verse 7. So Revelation 20 and verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not, written, found, was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Alright, so uh, let's start back with the, with the, uh, this morning we talked about the binding of Satan. Let's start back in verse um, 3 and verse 7 with the loosing of Satan. You look, first of all, back in verse 3, and it's saying that the angel, continuing the sentence here, the angel who had the key to the bottomless pit, threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, which is, of course, what we talked about this morning. But then he says, until the thousand years were ended, after that he must be released for a little while. So there's this period of a thousand years, which, as I said this morning, um, I believe the number is just symbolic. In other words, I don't think it needs to be taken as a literal one thousand years, but but it is a period of time um, in which Satan is bound uh, or like restrained, like we were talking about this morning. Um, I think that means that he's, uh, just to kind of recap a little bit, I think that means that he's he's restrained in the sense that he cannot thwart God's will. So specifically, If the thousand years represents the church age, which is the time between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming, then specifically what's going on here is that Satan is restrained in the sense that he cannot stop the advance of the gospel. He cannot deceive the nations in that sense. The gospel is going out to all nations, um, and where before, Old Testament um, uh, era, you had... um, Jews, and then all the other nations were considered pagans, right? So, you know, just generally speaking, you could say the nations were deceived. If you were talking about the people of God, you were talking about Israel, and all of the other nations were deceived. But here, the gospel is going out to all nations, um, so that you, the people of God, is is made up of a of a people of diverse ethnicities or people groups. So you got people from all. Tribes, kindred, tongue, nations. And, uh, when we say nations, you know, I, I think I mentioned this this morning, but when, when the Bible uses the term nations, it's usually the term uh, ethnos, where we get our word ethnicity or, or ethnic. Uh, and that's the idea here. So it's, it's not nations like we, we think of national boundaries like uh, the United States or France or England or something like that. But it's it, it, it more uh, accurate to think of like tribes, you know, um, people groups. Types of of people, um, and there there are varieties of people groups, obviously. So um, we saw earlier on in the book of Revelation that the that the the uh, the throng that is before the throne praising God is made up of people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. So you got, uh, it seems to me, you have got every ethnicity, every people group represented there. And that harmonizes perfectly with the Great Commission, doesn't it? Jesus says, go into all the world uh, and preach the gospel. Go, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them um, to observe what I've commanded you. So I I think the binding is in that sense. Satan cannot restrain um, the mission of the church, which is to take the gospel to all nations, and there will be people from all nations that come to Christ. Now... He says that's going to be that way until the thousand years were ended, in verse 3. Until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. That is, Satan must be released for a little while. And ultimately, of course, this is for the purpose of judgment. He's, 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 uh, he's released, but then he's judged. We'll see that in a moment. But there does seem to be a, a period at the end of the age, at the end of this thousand years... Um, which again, I think that is symbolic, representing the time between the first coming and the second coming. So at the very end of this time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, there seems to be this period where Satan is essentially loosed. And we, we've already seen this. That is that is, the restraints are taken away to some degree. Now, he's still, he's always on a leash. I mean, he can, he can never um, operate outside of the will of God, right? He can, ne- He's not more powerful than God and he can never do anything that ultimately God doesn't allow him to do. So he's always on a leash. But the restraints are loosened. And you, we've already seen evidence of this, you know, earlier on where it talks about the beast wearing out the saints, um, overcoming the saints. Uh, I think it's Daniel that actually uses the term wearing out uh, back in the book of Daniel. Um, and Jesus says that it's, there's going to be a time uh, in the Gospels, Jesus says there's going to be a time of great tribulation. It's going to be so severe that he says, if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. Um, and he says those days are going to be shortened for the elect's sake, because if they weren't shortened, nobody would survive. It's, it's going to be that bad. So, so there seems to be a, a period um, at the very end of the age where Satan is loosed, as it were, and uh, overcomes the church. He overcomes the people of God. And so it looks like you know doom, but but of course that's only for a short period, and then Jesus returns and and defeats Satan, and the church is not you know ultimately overcome. I mean we're um, God has us in His hand. I mean he, he's, that's the whole point of the book. It never gets to the point uh, of being out of control. It, it looked that way from our perspective at times, but that never ever actually happens. And you, and and you can imagine if if you think it looks like it's out of control now in parts of the world, or if you, if you imagine the time of great tribulation and you think, boy, that's really going to be a, a, a time where it's out of control. Think what it seemed like to the apostles the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested. Uh, certainly to them it looked like, wow, this didn't work out. Uh, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't happen like he said. Uh, and not only is he not bringing in the kingdom, he's being crucified. He's being killed. So you can imagine, as they watched him die on the cross, and then saw him, his body carried away to be laid in a tomb, uh, that it must look have looked pretty hopeless. Uh, but it wasn't out of control at all, was it? I mean, it was, it, everything was going perfectly according to God's plan. So that's always the case, and that's that's the picture here. So he's loose for a little while, and he knows that his time is short. Um, so he, uh, so he is uh, uh, attacking the church um, with er- with everything he's got. Let me uh, see. I think there's a, a reference I want to mention here. If I can, give me just a second. It's thinking about what Paul says in Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter two. Let's flip over there for a minute. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or... A letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, now, so let me stop right there for just a second he's he's just this is the reason part of the reason he's writing to the Thessalonians because the word has been put out that the second coming has already happened, and so Paul is correcting that okay so he's saying even you know whether whether um Uh, a a spirit has has, uh, told you or or you had a spoken word or even a letter that seems to be from us. Paul says don't be shaken in mind by those things because it hasn't happened. Look at verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction only he who now restrains he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of His coming. That would be his second coming. Um, verse nine. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay. so I think that's a, a reference to that same period when uh, Satan will be, uh, uh, his, his his leash will be <laughs> um, loosened, as it were, and, and he's going to bring great tribulation on the world. So I think that's what, what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 20 when it talks about him being loosed for a short period. He's bound for a long period of time, and then at the end of that he's, he's um, loosed, for a short period of time. If you jump, now I'm back in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So he's mustering all of his forces here, deceiving um, men, and I think the way this will play out, deceiving um, nations to rise up against the church, against the people of God. In verse 10 and verse 9, And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. That's a parallel for what Paul just said in Thessalonians, I think. Where he talks about the Lord uh, consuming the man of sin with the breath of his mouth. Um, So, and and that's the whole thing. And this apocalyptic language, you know, it'll be, it'll it'll be. There are different images used uh, to describe the same thing. So, just like in the last chapter, it was with the sword that came from the mouth of the uh, the one who was riding on the white horse, right? And that's how he slayed the enemy. So we've seen this, and we've seen this over and over and over uh, in, in, I don't know how many chapters now, but it goes way back, at least back to chapter 12. It goes back beyond that, where um, the the tribulation in this world is being described, and it escalates, and it comes to uh, um, a head, as it were, in a a final battle, which we often refer to as the Battle of Armageddon. Um, And then the Lord returns and, uh, and... Defeats Satan and all of his uh, his followers, and then the final judgment. So that's that's where we go next. All right, verse eleven. Well, I should read verse ten because that's here's Verse ten says, "And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever." And ever. Now, this this judgment, by the way, the, we're getting to the final judgment here, and it is um, final, and it is forever. All right. So there, for example, um, Satan, the beast, the false prophet, they're thrown into the lake, of, lake of fire, where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, uh, never ceasing torment. Now, verse, here's, here comes the final judgment. Verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. We've seen that imagery before, similar imagery, you know, the mountains being removed and all that kind of thing uh, at, the, at the coming of the Lord. Earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. So um, one thing I want to point out right here on that note is that uh, no one is exempt from the final judgment, all right? We're, that's, that's, the, that's what's going on here, final judgment. Paul said, we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ uh, in, in 1 Corinthians. So, n- no one is exempt. That's, that's kind of the point there with the great and small. Doesn't matter if you're a king, doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're poor, um, beggar or whatever. It doesn't matter uh, if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Alright? So, everybody appears, both great and small. And then, notice he says, Books were open. This is kind of interesting. Books were open, first of all. And you have this imagery is coming from Daniel. You can can go back uh, maybe in your own study time and uh, look at uh, Daniel 7, for example. Um, He says here, I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne, and books were open. then another book. So you've got books, and then you've got the book of life, a specific book. Books were opened, then, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Re- remember that, because um, we have seen this. Boy, oh, I've tried to point it out several times. I haven't done it every time. But w- works, I'll come back to that, because I know that may be a little confusing, but, uh, but works... Um, there, there is a lot of emphasis on works in the book of Revelation. In fact, there's a lot of emphasis on works in the Bible, <laughs> and it, and it, and people. It seems like people tend to think it's 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 absent from the New Testament, but it's, it is not. You know, just for example, just read the Sermon on the Mount, and and you know just, just kind of you know maybe you want to mark it every time you know Jesus talks about works there, um, and that's just one little spot, one sermon. Um, it, it, is, it is throughout the Bible. So here, uh, just again, this is in harmony with, with what Paul says, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll all be judged according to our works. All right, so here you've got eight, uh, books were open, and then the book of life. And then again in verse 12, um, the dead were judged by what was written in the books. Notice the, the plural there. The dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, there's the refrain again, according to what they had done. So, great and small, um, the dead in the sea, the dead and death and Hades, everybody, nobody's exempt. Everybody appears before the judgment seat of Christ and everybody is judged according to what they have done. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's going to be important. We're going to come back to that. Okay. Alright, so. Everybody great and small, it doesn't matter how they died, the dead the, the sea gives up its dead, everybody in death and Hades um, are are uh, resurrected to judgment to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So now you you've got um, all of the dead well, I'll come back to that in a moment when we deal with the second death but death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire this is the second death the lake of fire so remember that um, in fact, get ahead of myself a little bit here but this will help me remember come back and talk about this in a second to death so so you've got first death and here we're talking about the second death um which is the lake of fire? So, this is the le- this is the second day at the lake of fire, and, ver- and then final verse there, verse fifteen. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. All right. So this is the final judgment. All right. Everybody appears before the throne, the great white throne, in the final. Judgment, and I think this is synonymous with what Paul is talking about. For example, in Corinthians, when he says, "We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ." One and the same. A lot. A lot of people will try to make different judgments out of that. Um, I just don't see it. It looks like to me, what, what we're looking for is essentially is one event: the second coming of Christ and and the great judgment, and that's it. That's final. All right. So, judgment. Everybody's going to be judged according to their works. And I think that in the first place, and I already wiped it off, but remember the first reference to books here was plural. In verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were, were open. Well, uh, just, I, I think what's happening there is, it is, it is uh, uh, the picture is records, records of what we have done. So the books are open that contain records of our life. Now, you say they're going to literally bring out these stacks of books and open them up. Well, I would say probably not, cause the, the, probably not literally, because the Lord's not going to have any trouble remembering anything. Okay? Uh, it, it doesn't have to be written for His sake. Um, but this is the picture. It's like, it's, it's like a courtroom scene and you, you you've got the judge on the throne, and um the the charges are being read the charges are being uh, read and announced um, and and then of course, you know nobody's going to have the option of pleading not guilty because <laughs> everybody's guilty uh, and and there's not going to be any argument about it i mean this is this is the last this is the final judgment. so the books plural um I think refers to. A record of our works. Everybody, and and, and this is what he's saying in verse 12 and then verse 13, we're going to be judged according to what we have done. Again in verse 13, according to what they had done. So I I think that's what the book's plural represents. All right, but you go back to verse 12 again, and it says, Then another book was opened, this time singular book, which is the book of life. So, you got the books containing the records of, of uh, what we've done, our deeds, our works, and then you've got the book, the book of life, a record um, of all of God's people, you know, names of all whom God has chosen to save. So, and, and we've seen this before, haven't we, too? A couple of times already in the book of Revelation, reference to this book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And we've seen talk about those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. So the names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And in space and time, God brings those individuals to himself, saves those individuals, um, saves us. And then, on the judgment day, the book is opened that contains all of our names. So, everybody appears before the judgment seat of Christ. There are no exceptions. Everybody's judged according to their works. And then some, and and Jesus gives a really good detailed description of this in Matthew 25, um, some are condemned to eternal damnation, cast into the lake of fire. So, so Jesus says in Matthew 25 that I will say unto those on my, my left, th- they're represented by goats there. He's separating the sheep from the goats. And he says, I will say unto them, depart from me, right, into, into everlasting condemnation. And, and those on the right, which are his sheep, there they're represented by, uh, by sheep. Here they're represented by. Uh, we're represented by those whose names are written in the book of life. To those he brings into to us, he brings he brings us into um, eternal blessing, being in his presence, eternal life, being in his presence forever and ever and ever. So that separation is made on the judgment day. And the bottom line is this: It's in the last verse here, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. Now, notice, everybody's judged according to their works, right? Everybody's judged according to their works. But then it doesn't say, now, everybody that had X measure of good works went to heaven, and everybody that had X measure of bad works went to hell. And then there was these people that just kind of balanced out, and, uh, you know, they, somebody flipped a coin and, you know, you're going to go to heaven or hell. Um, it doesn't say anything like that, does it? Because even though everybody's judged by their works, for those that are in Christ, that is not what determines our final destination. What does? <laughs> well, it's works, all right, but it's, it's the works of Christ. The works of Christ. And for those who are in Christ... Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So everybody stands before the judgment seat. Everybody's judged according to their works. And then when it comes to heaven and hell, you know, the separation, um should say hell over here the way Jesus does it in Matthew. But when it comes to the separation, heaven, hell, everybody whose name is written in the book of life, enters into eternal life in the presence of the Lord. Everybody whose name is not found, was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's eternal damnation. And it's the same damnation or condemnation that, that um, is described back in verse 10 that Satan receives. They will be tormented, that is, in the lake of fire day and night forever and ever. So the bottom line is this. Everybody in Christ is saved finally and fully at this point. Enter into the joy of the Lord <laughs> forever. And everybody who is not in Christ, there's, there, there's, as we've said so many times, there's no neutral ground. Everybody who is not in Christ is is on the side of the devil, whether they knew it or not, whether they realized it or not. And so they share in Satan's condemnation. So you can say it this way Satan and all whom he has deceived throughout the ages are cast into the lake of fire where they will be tormented forever and ever and ever. Okay? And as I said earlier, this judgment is final, it's final and it's forever. So, when we talk about um, salvation, well, let me do it in reverse. You know, we'll do the bad news first, and then the good news. When we talk about damnation, there at after this point, there is no hope. No hope. Just a little while ago, um, Jordan was watching uh, um, the Lord of the Rings for the uh, 339th time. And... Uh, uh, I was I was catching parts of it, you know. I mean, I was I mean, there was something going on there. I was fading in and out, but um, th- this they're getting ready for this big battle, and uh, this one young boy who's about to fight comes up to the king uh, who's going to be king, Aragorn, and uh, you know they do all the son of. Han, whatever, Aragon, Han, or whatever, son of so-and-so. That's how they address each other. And then, the, you know, the, the little boy says to him, uh, I mean, this kid looks like he's probably 13 or 14. He says to him, uh, the men say that we're all going to die tonight and that this, this battle is hopeless. And so then the king says to him, there is always hope. There is always hope. Well, that's a great and inspiring message. Expiring, too. Because um, <laughs> it's going to expire at this point. Um, listen, that's true now while we're all living and breathing. That's true. And I like, you know, I like to, if, if I'm sharing the gospel, that's, I want to communicate that. I do. I try to. I tell people, look, as long as you're breathing. I mean, and, don't, and, you know, and I, I try to warn them. I mean, don't use that as an excuse for sin. Because the thing is, you, you could stop breathing in the next second. I mean, you don't have any control over that. You could be out of here in a split second. So don't take that for granted. But as long as you are breathing and living, there is hope. There is. But when we get to this point, that's it. There's, there's no more hope. For all of those who are cast into the lake of fire, that is eternal, eternal damnation torment forever and ever without any any hope of ever being free from it without any hope of things ever getting better if you think of it like Jesus described it as as pitch blackness it is it is that forever without any sight ever of light dark utter darkness it is agony that causes gnashing of teeth, Jesus says. And there is never, ever, ever hope of relief. Ever. Okay? It's final. It's forever. Now, on the other side, for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we enter into the joy of the Lord. And that too is final and forever. So so we don't go back to the situation that Adam and Eve were in, and, and you know, hope that we can do a better job than they did. <laughs> no, we're in a be- we go into a better position where we're not able to sin. In fact, sin is removed from our experience. So, so on the other side, you've got darkness without ever any hope of light. On this side, you've got light without any darkness. In fact, we're going to see uh, in the new heaven and the earth, new earth. There is no more night. That's an important um, um, that's an important metaphor for John. Darkness and light. No more night. So it's just eternal daylight, and not even need for the sun because the glory of God is what lights the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. All right, so. Um, that's that's the final conflict and 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 I do think that um this loosing of Satan here is is the same thing we've been seeing described over and over and over throughout these chapters where you have we had the talk about the different battles where uh the world is coming against the kingdom of God and it's just a different way of saying it again and then it always ends up the same way because they 're all talking about the same thing, but Jesus returns and and squashes the rebellion okay and and uh brings the final and full uh judgment to the wicked and the final and full blessing to those whose names are written in the lamb 's book of life, who are covered by the atoning work of christ okay um, is there are there any any questions or comments either on what I just said now or from this morning when we were talking about essentially talking about verses one through six? Two? Oh yeah, thank you. I did I did forget that. Then I? I got it written right on the board, so I don't forget it. I have to turn around and look at it. Two resurrections and two deaths. This is interesting here, um, the way that John does this because he only mentions one of each. So, for example, you go back to. Um, verse 6. Well, let me back up a little further than that because this is all, that, that's kind of explanatory of the verses ahead of that. So, let's, let's go back to verse 4. Then I, verse 4, Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the Word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image... And had not received its mark on their foreheads. Um, by the way, let me just point out real quick there's that dichotomy again. So, you've got, on one hand, you've got those who have worshiped the beast, have received its mark on their foreheads, um, and have worshiped its image, and so on and so forth. They are the same people whose names are not written in the book of life. On the other hand, you've got the people, the kingdom of God who are the people whose whose names are written in the book of life and they have not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads etc 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 okay see um, like they say in the king and i um, so um, that th- it's those two groups you don't have there's no there's no middle ground all right so th- this is who John is seeing and and I'm not sure here when he says uh, he may just be talking about all believers here not not just martyrs Uh, either that or he's, um, well, yeah, I think he's talking about both, not just martyrs, but he does specifically mention martyrs, Um, those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the Word of God. But then he says, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark. So so what he's seeing here uh, is is the, the people of God, the kingdom of God. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's, again, what we were talking about this morning, except I didn't quite get to cover this much. Um, verse five, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years all right let me let me uh, uh, let me let me change one thing up here because that word came to life the e s v says came to life um, anybody got a different translation on that you got a new american standard uh, new king james okay good um that that's more that 's a little bit more uh literal i mean that's they lived they lived. They lived. And it's Eris and it's tense, so, you know, like here he, they translate it, they came, they came to life, but but literally, you know, they lived. They lived and reigned with Christ. And I think there's emphasis on that. They, they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So, during this thousand-year period that Satan is bound, there are these people who lived and reigned with Christ. Or, as the, the ESV um, Translates it. They came. They, they came to life. Well, what is that? Resurrection. Yeah, those two things are the same. Qu- the Old King James. A lot of times we we'll use the term res- uh, uh, "quickened," but but the the idea behind being quickened is being resurrected, being made alive, made alive. So yeah, resurrection. They they. That's why the ESV translates it. They came to life. They they came to life during this period, and they. Um, reigned with Christ. So they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead, if I can just paraphrase this for a moment, the rest of the dead remain dead. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So so during this thousand-year period, you've got some who come to life, they're resurrected, and everybody else remains dead. All right? Um, That's the first resurrection. And he says that, I think, and there are a couple of different ways to view this, but I I think that's what he's saying in the end of verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the resurrection. And I think that this he's referring to is back in um, um, in verse 4. They came to life, or they lived. They lived. They lived. They came to life. This is the first resurrection. So, so in other words, he's when he says um, the rest of the dead stay dead until the uh, uh, until the end of the thousand years. I think he's just adding description there to the to that period. You got these people who came alive. The rest remain dead. This this coming alive of these people during that period is the first resurrection. Over such, what is the such? It's, it's, the, it's the people who came alive during this thousand-year period, right? The people who lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Over such, the second death has no power. Well, we saw a few minutes ago, uh, what is the second death? It's, it's being cast into the, the lake of fire, right? Um, so, so let me do this. And then I'll explain. You got you got two two resurrections. The first resurrection is is mentioned here. Um, the second one really is not. I mean, it's just Im- implied that there might be more. There might be another resurrection because because he calls this one the first one, right? First resurrection. All right. So you got two resurrections, and I'm just going to abbreviate it here: two resurrections and two. Deaths. So let's let's just say first resurrection. The the second one's implied, and then you got the uh, the first death, which is implied because it doesn't it doesn't state it, and then you got the second death, which is described. It's explicitly mentioned there. So two deaths, two two resurrections. So what is the first? And I'll, I'll I'll come back and explain where I'm getting this from. But what is the first resurrection? Well, I would say it's a spiritual resurrection, um, meaning what what Wesley was talking about a few minutes ago the the word quickened made alive, uh, you whom he hath quickened uh, in ephesians two you you were you he made alive, you who were dead in trespasses and sins so the first resurrection is a spiritual spiritual resurrection, and the second resurrection is Physical. Sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? But I'll come back and explain in a moment. Um, The first death is what? You got it. I thought, sure, somebody was going to say spiritual, but no. I was trying to trick you. First death is physical. The second death, spiritual. And by the way, both of these are... are, When I say both, I mean both, both resurrections and then also both deaths, these are realities. So when I say spiritual, don't think, ah, now you're talking about something that's not really real. No, 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 it's a reality. Uh, we, we, there wouldn't be any spiritual rebirth. There wouldn't be uh, being born again or any regeneration for us if it was not for the resurrection, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The bodily, physical resurrection of Christ, all right, is, is that's what our... our Bodily resurrection is rooted in. It's what our spiritual resurrection is rooted in. Um, all right, so the first resurrection is spiritual. In other words, what we're talking about here, I think, is being born again. Or you can use the term, you know, we use the term regeneration a lot. You can say regenerate. Jesus uses the met, this metaphor, born again, in John 3, and he, when he's talking about spiritual birth. And spiritual birth is um, being raised to life. You know, raised out of spiritual death into spiritual life. That's what Paul is describing in Ephesians 2. Uh, you, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, He quickened or He made alive. Um, so, so the first resurrection is spiritual. Uh, I think it's a reference to our being born again. The second resurrection... Um, is physical. So what's being described there is the actual bodily resurrection at the last day when. Go ahead. Oh, okay. When, when, let me just finish the sentence. When, when we are all resurrected, okay? Not, not, I mean, we are reunited, assuming we have died at that before, sometime before the end. We are reunited uh, with our bodies at that point, but it'll be a new body, glorified body and everybody is bodily physically resurrected now, my they um, alive for a years, what about the people that are still alive they just stay alive for the, years? the which people are you referring to the on Earth that are still alive. well i think that's now that's us now Mm-hmm. And the thousand years would start, we would just stay alive? I, I think the, the one thousand, the number one thousand, I think is symbolic. So I think it's referring to this period between the first coming of Christ and the second coming. So it started two thousand years ago. So we would just, could I that'll be at the, that'll be when he returns, that'll be at his second coming. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, yeah, that'll be at his second coming, but the thousand years started with his first coming, yes, yeah, I think now there are, a lot of people disagree with that, and so they're going to say no, that's going to start at his second coming. in fact, some people take it a lot of people take it to be literal so so when he comes, there's going to be this literal one thousand year period that will start at his second coming and last a thousand years uh uh, I, I i you know I, I just wasn't getting too heavily heavily into that but I, but i but i just you know I, I don't agree with that position if if it's right that's fine i mean i don't have any problem being wrong on on it no, that's great i you know I, I just want to be with the lord forever and ever so uh so that's that's fine however it works out but i but i but I, but i don't think it's right um i think the 1000 years is just symbolism it's referring to the church age when people on earth you and i who are saved, are spiritually resurrected and we live and reign with Christ during this period um, that we call the church age. Um, And then when he comes back, we experience the physical resurrection. So every saint that has already died and gone on to be with the Lord, um, at at that point when Jesus returns, they will receive a new body. We will too. Even, I mean, even if we're alive, even if we're alive when he returns. Yes. Yeah. 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 I disagree with that. There are a lot of people that teach that. Yeah. There are a lot of people that teach that because they tend to take they tend to take it so uh, literally, um, and uh, that's 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 another view, and it's a it's a valid view. I mean, I'm like I say, I'm not saying. Um, Oh, anybody that would believe that, you know, they're just uh, uh, crazy or whatever. They're heretics or or something like that. Um, But I I, I do disagree with it. Um, The book of Revelation is full. It's it's apocalyptic literature, so it is full of imagery. And numbers especially, if you watch when you're going through the book, numbers are used symbolically. Like we saw, uh, I mentioned this morning, we saw early on, To reference the Holy Spirit, he was was referenced by uh, the terminology, the seven spirits of God. Well, are there seven spirits of God? No. So why did John talk about seven spirits of God? Because the number seven represents perfection, and so it's a a way of referring to the perfection of the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, um, one of the churches, Jesus says, you're going to be in prison for ten days. Ten days. I mean, that doesn't sound like that. that's too hard to bear. <laughs> What's the big deal about that? Well, because, again, I don't think the number is, is literal. It's symbolic. He's, it's, a way, it's a way that he's saying to them, You're, you are going to be in prison for a, short peri- a relatively short period of time. So endure. You know, endure. Stick with it. Hang in there. So, so, no, yeah, there are a lot of people that teach that, and uh, that's, that is um, uh, a premillennial view. It's, that's that's called premillennialism, and and they 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 would say that Jesus will return, and that starts the thousand years. Some some think the thousand years is literal, some don't. Um, but it, but at any rate, either way, Jesus returns, and then this thousand year reign starts. I see a lot of problems with that. All right, and it makes it really hard for me to to swallow. And I and I don't think that um, although. You know, like I say, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But, 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 uh, but I do see problems with it that that, that I haven't been able to reconcile. Um, one of them is you've got glorified saints living among um, unregenerate, unglorified people. So, you, so for a thousand years, you've got this mixture of, of of people who are still under the curse, living just like you and I do today, you know, and then we are living among them in a glorified state, in glorified bodies. So that just seems really, that's just really hard for me to, I don't find that, you know, uh, to, to be necessary, in, you know, in, in, in interpreting the passage, uh, and it's really hard for me to swallow that that could be the case. And I think another another reason that that uh, interpretation is, is adopted a lot of times is because they want to apply Old Testament promises that they see as unfulfilled pertaining to the nation of Israel. They say, well, these still have to happen. And I think they're fulfilled in the church. You know, I think the, the nation of Israel, everything about it, was pointing to the real people of God, the church, which includes some Israelites. You know, they're not left out, certainly. In fact, they're the natural branch. We're the, we're, the Gentiles are grafted in. But they look at those prophecies and they say, well, they, there are things here that still have to be filled, fulfilled um, with the nation of Israel. And I don't see that either. I, I, I don't, I, I, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, the Apostle Paul says. And, and uh, that's the way I, I tend to think of those things. Somehow they're fulfilled in the church. In the, in, the, in the kingdom of God e- either in the church age or in the eternal state God will bring those things to, to pass and the fulfillment may look a little different just like the Messiah did um, the, the 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 actual Messiah when he came looked a lot different than what they were expecting didn't it didn't he J- Jesus idea of the kingdom was a lot different from theirs so um, I don't know, hopefully that's helpful. But yeah, that that's that's another view, but but uh, it's a it's a view that I reject. Let me take you to one more passage here. Remember we're talking about two two uh two resurrections and two deaths. Let's go to John five. I want to make sure I get to this before we wrap it up here. <clears throat> two resurrections and two deaths. First resurrection, second resurrection, first death, second death. John chapter five. Because you might be thinking, where in the world is he getting that stuff from? Anyway, um, so let me, let me put, put those terms back up here again. First resurrection, we, we said that is spiritual. So that's referring to being born again. Um, and, I, and I like what Wesley said too, because if you, if you think of it as referring to the resurrection of Christ still, um, that's, you know, we, we were raised up in him. So that's a good way to look at it, I think, as well. So first resurrection... The second resurrection, that's going to be physical. All right, and then you got first death. We said that is physical. Second death is where they're cast into the lake of fire. Um, that's spiritual. I'll explain why in a minute if I don't forget. Because I know being cast into the lake of fire sounds physical, but but uh all right, so first first resurrection, second resurrection. Where am I getting that from? That's John five. I, 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 I see it uh, implied in, in Revelation twenty where we just were. In fact, the first resurrection is clearly spoken of. You just have to uh you just have to interpret what it means. You have to decide what what is it talking about. Um so let's Let's go here, and this is the same author, by the way, John, the Apostle John. in uh, verse 25, this is Jesus speaking. "Truly, truly, that's one of those. remember the amen, amen," for emphasis, There it is. "Amen, amen." That, that's the way of saying, "Listen up. Remember when you're in school and your teacher say, "Listen. <laughs> I'm about to tell you something important here. That's, Jesus would use this phrase, "Amen, amen." Translated, truly, truly. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. Catch that. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Does that sound familiar? They lived and reigned a thousand years. Same language, same author. Verse 26. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Alright, so verse 25 and 26 is clearly talking about regeneration. Jesus says, the time is coming and now is. He's saying, it is here. I mean, right now when He's speaking, The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So, he's walking around preaching. Were people getting up out of the graves? No, because he's not talking about the physically dead. He's talking about the spiritually dead. Now, even the physically dead, if he called them out, like he did Lazarus, then they got up too. Um, But he's talking about those who are spiritually dead. He's using the same... um, uh, Same analogy that Paul is using in Ephesians 2. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and He made you alive. So Jesus says the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and live. They come to life. They live. Alright, so that's what I'm calling the first resurrection, and I believe that's what John is calling the first resurrection in Revelation chapter 20. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So the first resurrection is spiritual. It's talking about us being born again. Definitely, is here. And that's definitely the case here, and I'm interpreting Revelation 20 that way as well. But, but, but there's no doubt here. Jesus is talking about regeneration. All right, and then you get to verse 28. Jesus says, "Do not marvel at this, <laughs> for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear." His voice, and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That's the second resurrection, and that's physical. This time, he doesn't just say, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and come to life. This time, he specifically says, all who are in the tombs. He's talking about people who are physically dead. Dead as a hammer. I mean, you know, we're not so so we're not we're not talking about just um, people who are physically alive but spiritually dead. In verse twenty-eight, there we're talking about every dead person. They're coming out of the tombs. So right now, and notice this contrast, verse twenty-five: Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here. So when he speaks of regeneration, when he speaks of spiritual resurrection, he says the time is now. But, in verse 28, he does not say that. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming. He does not say it's now here. It's not now here. Physical resurrection is still future. Alright? So he says it's coming. It's coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life... Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So, this resurrection includes everybody. Those who have done good and those who have done evil. It's a physical, bodily resurrection and it's a resurrection to judgment. And by the way, notice he says those who have done good and then those who have done evil. So, same thing we got in Revelation 20. They will be judged according to what they have done. Right? Saint Jesus saying the same thing here. He says the same thing in Matthew 25 when he talks about the sheep and the goats. All right, so first resurrection is spiritual. Second resurrection is physical. First resurrection is happening now. That is, people are being born again. They hear the voice of the Son of God and they live. <laughs> Hallelujah. Man, you know, somewhere back there, around about 1986 or somewhere around in there, I heard the voice of the Son of God. And woke up, because he woke me up. Not, not, not by my own power, but he woke me up. Now, I, I, there's one sense I'd heard his voice over and over and over and over, because I'd been sitting in church and I'd, been, I'd heard the word preached. And when, when, you, when, you're, when you're hearing the Bible read, you're hearing the voice of the Son of God. So there's one sense I'd been hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, but there's another sense in which I had never heard it. But all of a sudden, I heard it. I heard it. It's like Saul on the Damascus Road. Saul, Saul, he got real personal. <laughs> he got real personal and and heavy, heavy emphasis. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, isn't it, Saul? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, isn't it, Skip? It, it got real personal. And I heard. Because he opened my ears. because Because he made me alive. He gave me life. So... First resurrection is now; it's happening. Jesus said it now is, and he's talking about being born again. He's talking about spiritual resurrection. The dead hear and they live. Second resurrection is future. That's at the last day. That's what we were just reading about in Revelation 20. Um, that's at the last day when Jesus returns. So, so you can put that too. That's the second coming of Christ. And all are raised up, even those who are physically dead. Everybody is raised up to appear before the great white throne judgment that we just read about in Revelation 20. And those who have done good are raised to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of dead. Another way to say that uh, in, in, in context of everything we've been looking at in Revelation, all those who have rejected the gospel are raised to the resurrection of condemnation, death. But all those who are in Christ, all those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all those whose names are found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, are raised to life, eternal life. So that's that's the second resurrection, bodily resurrection. Now, concerning death, what's the first death? Well, I would say that's physical death. Um, you, you die um, bodily, but... So I mean everybody's familiar with that. We don't need a lot of expounding on that. You know, you you, uh, you if you live long enough, you die. Okay, um, that's that. There's one out of one, people die. That's that's the the statistic so far. Uh, I don't know. You, I guess you could do like a nine 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 nine. nine, nine you know, because you got to count. Um, um, Enoch, uh, he he was not. You know, uh, but and uh, Elijah. But for the most part, everybody who, who lives dies, okay? So, so what is the second death? That's we just read about. They're cast into the lake of fire. That's the spiritual death. So the, the first death, all that does is separate you from the physical realm. You know, you, you, don't, you don't cease to be. You just leave this world. You know, your, 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 your body dies and rots in the grave. And and you you move on either to uh, the presence of the Lord, all are um, to uh, to uh, Hades to torment. Okay, but the second death is the is the is spiritual death and it's final. It is complete. And here's here's the big thing: separation from God. That's what's happening in the second death. And and really, I should have put eternal eternal separation from God without any hope. All right? So John told us in Revelation 20, everybody who has taken part in the first resurrection, that is you've been born again, or as Wesley said if you want to call if you want to say the first resurrection is talking about the resurrection of Christ and we're raised up in him, the scripture says that. Okay? Everybody who has taken part in the first resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, the second death has no power over him, John says. (laughs) That's good news. So, um, our name is found in the book of life, and we enter eternal life. Any other questions or comments? I'm sorry, I'm trying not to hold you all too long here, but, but I did want to cover that. All right. Everybody got tired. <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh let's pray and uh and we'll dismiss. Y'all been real patient, so um let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you <clears throat> for your word. And Lord, we're so thankful for these promises of eternal life in Christ. And it's not because of who we are or because of anything we've done, it's just by your grace. So you get all of the glory and honor lord help us to um to help us to do that help us to honor you help us to proclaim your name help us to sing your praises um not only when we're in this building for these meetings but when we're out in the world lord may we may we talk much about you and make much of you for your glory in jesus name amen